morning and welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio on this live broadcast from Studio 14 this Thursday, January 4th, 2024. Sudanese civilians continue regional shuttle diplomacy to bring an end to nine months of brutal conflict back home. Uh, we'll continue, uh, you know, knocking on that door uh, and we'll continue uh, calling for them to answer and to respond positively to our uh, demand. Uh, and I, um, bearing in mind, there is absolutely no military solution to this problem. And the United States calls for an investigation into the killing of a high-ranking South Sudanese official in the Abia administrative area. The embassies of Norway the United Kingdom, and the United States condemn the latest attack in the Abiyé administrative area in which Deputy Administrator Noon Den Niak and several of his colleagues were killed on Sunday, December 31, 2023. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. The key players in shuttle diplomacy aimed at ending the conflict between Sudan's army and the paramilitary rapid support forces are hoping to build on a deal reached Tuesday with one side. Former Sudanese ambassador to the United States, Noor Din Sati, is a member of the civilian coalition Taqaddum and is currently in Nairobi, Kenya, where regional shuttle diplomacy continues to bring together the head of the army, General, Muhammad, General Abdul Fattah al-Burhan, and rapid support forces leader, General Mohammed Hamad to end Sudan's conflict. I spoke with him about the coalition, its objectives, and the upcoming steps in their conflict resolution efforts. Taqaddum actually is a coalition of uh, civic forces. Um, it's composed of uh, declaration of principles groups that I have the honor of coordinating. A civic uh, uh, group which was formed uh, immediately after the, the beginning of the war. A coalition of uh, um, resistance groups, civil society groups, uh, trade unions, uh, women groups and youth groups. Uh, and uh, Taqaddum was composed uh, in the, during the last week of October uh, in a meeting in, in Addis Ababa. And the objectives of uh, this coalition is to do all, to start with, to get the civilians to get their acts together and to speak in one voice uh, in order uh, to stop the war, to put an end the, to the war, engage in a negotiating process, a peaceful process uh, and uh, a political process that would uh, uh, bring back uh, civilian uh, democratic uh, rule. And as a member of Taqaddum, how do you assess the current progress of shuttle diplomacy in fostering dialogue between the RSF, the Rapid Support Forces, and the army and regional leaders? I know Taqaddum has signed a declaration with the RSF already. How would you assess your progress? I assess this as uh, being a first step in the right direction. The plan is to engage with the two belligerents, to engage with the regional and international partners who are working for peace in Sudan, and to engage with um, other uh, civic uh, groups and political groups that are working for peace uh, in Sudan, stopping the war and restoring democracy in Sudan. My assessment uh, of the uh, last uh, moves that have been done in the last few days is that it's a very a positive step in the right direction. 
uh, initially we wrote letters, Takhatum wrote letters to both the RSF and the army in the south. And uh, thus far we have received only a response from uh, from the RSF. And that's the reason why uh, we held that meeting with them. Uh, my colleagues held that meeting with them in Addis Ababa, a delegation, as you know, headed by Prime Minister Hamdou. So uh, our assessment is that it is uh, a positive step, a positive first step in the right direction, but it is not enough, of course. We yes. need to engage the other belligerent, which is the Sudanese army, uh, and we have to bring into the process uh, other like-minded groups who would like to work for, uh, as I said, uh, peace and, and democracy in Sudan. And uh, as you uh, rightly noted, uh, you need to engage both belligerents. The declaration you signed with the RSF in Addis Ababa, the elephant in the room here, or maybe the elephant that is not in the room, is the army. Its leadership has not responded to your invitation and has not commented on the declaration you signed with the RSF. What specific challenges has Taqaddum faced uh, in its attempts to bring together General Abdel Fattah al-Burhan and the RSF leader, General Mohammed Hamdan Dagalu, for talks? Well, I would say the challenge is that uh, we wrote twice uh, to the to the army and we have not uh, received a uh, response. Uh, that in itself, the lack of response in itself uh, is a challenge. Uh, but of course, we do not despair. Uh, we'll continue, uh, you know, knocking on that door uh, and we'll continue uh, calling for them to answer and to respond positively to our uh, demand. Uh, and I... Um, bearing in mind there is absolutely no military solution to this problem. They have to bear this in mind. And that it is in the interest of the Sudanese people, interest of the army itself and the leaders of the army and those who are supporting them, uh, that we put together jointly an end to this war, which is in nobody's interest. Uh, so um, our appeal to them, our call to them, is to listen to our call uh, and to um, join us in working together in order to bring peace and stability to Sudan. That's former Sudanese ambassador to the United States, Nuruddin Sati. He spoke with me this past hour from the Kenyan capital, Nairobi. As we just heard, the, the coordination of of civil democratic forces known as Taqaddum signed the Addis Ababa Declaration with the Rapid Support Forces on Tuesday, then met with the chairman of the regional body IGAD in Djibouti and renewed its call for the army to join peace talks. I spoke with Salman Mohammed Salman, president of the University of Khartoum Council and an RSF expert for analysis. Now the civilians have one voice and it's a strong voice. So I think that by itself is a, is, a, is a major development and it's a positive development. In addition, what the declaration concentrated on is the same things that we had in the IGAD statement and whatever all the other meetings. It's an emphasis of the need for an immediate ceasefire and uh, the return of the displaced people to their homes and evacuation of those, evacuating those homes from whoever is occupying them and then uh, helping with the humanitarian assistance to those people and uh, talking about the uh, international regional national supervision of this process of return of the, of the displaced people. I think it's a positive step that uh, they are getting together. It will put a lot of pressure on the army, on the South, the Iberians, 
to respond same way. Otherwise, they, would, they will be viewed as the obstacles to ending the war and to peace in Sudan. Yes, and we must note that the army or General Burhan has not publicly responded to this declaration yet. And But uh, Taqaddum, like you mentioned, is a broad civilian coalition is being touted as the largest since this war. What is the best we can hope they will achieve and what do you think of their composition? I think, I, 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 as I said, I see it as a, a very positive step. Now at least there is one voice and there is someone with credibility who can talk to all the players and the international, inter, regional international players and who really has a wide group of parties and individuals behind him. The international community will be more willing to listen to them now that they are talking with one voice rather than listening to this and someone come with an opposing idea and this comes with a third idea. That's a major, major positive development. As you correctly noted, Burhan has not yet responded. It has been quite a while. We had thought that he would respond immediately, but the, it just shows that there are internal divisions and internal problems within the South and the, the Islamic uh, allies those internal challenges and internal differences between those between the Islamists and the army. But again, as I said, it really puts them in a very, a very odd place, in a very odd situation. The two groups, the civilians and the and the MIT are declaring a need for immediate ceasefire and return to, to normal normalcy and, and then they, they are they are they are they don't want they don't want to say anything. They don't want to say, well we accept we meet with with you, because basically this is this uh, this declaration will will not be meaningful without uh, its acceptance by 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 South. I would like you to comment lastly on the RSF leader, the Rapid Support Forces leader, Mohammed Hamdan Dagolo Hemeti. He has been touring the region and meeting with heads of state and government. He was in Uganda. He was in uh, Addis Ababa. Yeah, he was in Djibouti, he was in Addis again, Nairobi. What is he doing and is it working? Yeah, okay. Just before addressing this question directly, let me mention one point and then I'll come to your question. The declaration, it wasn't, it, it, the main difference between declaration and the, this declaration and the previous declaration is this declaration talks about unity of Sudan, citizenship, federal democratic system. So it goes beyond the security issues, beyond the military and security issues. <laughs> RSF is now talking like a political force, not just a, not just only military civilian uh, military military force. They are talking like a political force, and they are talking about their vision of Sudan, unity of Sudan, citizenship, equality of citizenship, the federal democratic system. And this is something new, not new in the sense that it, it didn't come in the in the previous declarations. Going from there and looking at uh, going around, I mean, it's really amazing how he's being treated in, in those countries that he's been visiting. He's being treated as a state. What I, what I saw in Kenya reminded me of the welcoming of Obama when he visited uh, Kenya. It's the same thing. It was They're a big spectacle to, indeed. It's a big spectacle. I mean, we, we just cannot under, under, underestimate it in any way. It's a huge spectacle. And I think that really sends a signal that the guy is getting now treated as a head of a state. Indeed, very, very interesting development. It's a major, it's a major development. It's extremely interesting development.
We will, uh, of course, monitor the space. We see the reaction from the army, head of the army, Burhan, and the highly anticipated face-to-face -face meeting with Hemeti. I uh, will definitely talk again soon. Thank you very much for your insights. Yeah, we'll talk again soon. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Amir. That's Salman Mohammed Salman, president of the University of Khartoum Council and an RSF expert. He was speaking with me from the U.S. state of Virginia. We move to the South Sudanese capital, Juba, where the Troika countries, the United States, the United Kingdom and Norway, are calling for an investigation into the killing of the deputy chief administrator of the Abyei administrative area over the weekend. The South Sudan National Police says it has launched an investigation into the killing and deployed a force in the area to prevent any new violence. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayar reports from Juba. The embassies of the United States, United Kingdom and Norway in South Sudan have condemned the attack in which Noni Ding, deputy chief administrator for a BI administrative area, was killed. The embassies of the Troika countries are calling for an end to violence and an investigation into Ding's death. Daisy Dix with the U.S. Embassy read the embassy's statement. The embassies of Norway, the United Kingdom and the United States condemn the latest attack in the Abiyeh administrative area in which Deputy Administrator Noon Den Niak and several of his colleagues were killed on Sunday, December 31, 2023. Ding, four of his bodyguards, and their driver were shot and killed in a road ambush Sunday in Romamir County. It is not clear who the attackers were or what their motive was. The Abiyai official was traveling to an event to celebrate the new year with the Rumamir County Commissioner when his car was ambushed. The use of violence as a tool for political or economic competition perpetuates a dangerous cycle and must be universally rejected by all South Sudanese leaders. This attack and all other incidents of violence should be investigated and perpetrators held accountable. South Sudan's government spokesperson and Minister of Information, Michael McQuay, says the incident is being investigated. We are conducting our investigation and it is not their duty to interfere on individual offenses committed by individuals. The investigation is being done under the normal investigative criminal cases. It is investigated by the police and the attorney general. The spokesperson for the South Sudan National Police Service, Major General Daniel Justin, says the police are probing the attack and hope to bring the attackers to justice soon. From our side as a police, we have started investigating, gathering more information about how the incident has happened and all the associated issues. Our police are doing their best to to arrest the suspects, but it needs a lot of work in terms of uh, gathering information and all this. That is why we are not talking much about we are just doing our work. He says although the situation remains calm in the area, security forces have been deployed to prevent revenge attacks, which could set up escalation of violence. Deadly violence has played the Abia administrative area in recent years because of a dispute between neighboring Nog Dinka and Twitch Dinka communities in Warabi State and Abia administrative area over boundaries. For VOA News, I'm Anyang David Mayor in Juba.
You're listening to South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Initially scheduled for January 3rd, the announcement of the provisional results of national, provincial and municipal legislative elections in the Democratic Republic of Congo has been postponed indefinitely by the Electoral Commission, SENI. It's a decision heavily criticized by civil society at a time when candidate Mwazi Katumbi, who finished second in the race, is calling for protests against what he describes as electoral fraud. More with the name Neti Zaidi. Candidates will have to wait a little longer to find out their fate following the December 20th elections. The Electoral Commission says it is continuing to compile votes throughout the DRC, an announcement that has not gone down well with members of civil society in North Kivu, such as Lazar Muyango, who fears corruption. He says they do not agree with the Electoral Commission's decision to postpone the announcement of election results because any issue that is postponed always leads to problems. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, corruption is common plaque. That is why is calling on the Electoral Commission, CENI, to make a statement as soon as possible so that the public can find out what happened at the ballot box. The process of convening voters for the election of senators, provincial governors and vice governors has also been postponed since the announcement of the provisional results by the Electoral Commission. Opposition candidates in the presidential election have issued a series of protest statements in an address to the Congolese people on Wednesday, January 3rd. Moïse Katumbi called for legal resistance against what he described as an electoral holdup. He says that people are victims of the electoral delay of December 20th, which is another example of the usurpation of sovereignty. He says that the people are entering another phase in their requests for freedom through peaceful democratic actions. There will be scenes of resistance to regain the most legitimate right, that of defeating fraud. The many calls from the opposition for the people to rise up against Chisekedi's victory can be explained by irregularities observed during the electoral process, as Trezor Makunya, a Congolese professor specializing in law, asserts. In a number of polling stations, voting machines were faulty. The fact that those voting machines were faulty, the opposition thought that this was a political machination by the ruling coalition to try uh, to uh, rig elections. And uh, in other districts, we realized that uh, individuals had uh, the voting machines. Second one, I think, is the fact that uh, the Electoral Commission extended against what the law provides, extended the duration of votes, you know, because there were a number of problems. The third one, I think, is the low voter turnout. In a country where we had over 43 million registered voters, only less than 40% turned out, and that is really problematic. Even if opposition protests are already taking place, the results of the presidential votes are still provisional. The final count will be revealed when the DRC's constitutional court validates them on January 10th. For VOA Africa, I'm Zanem Netizaidi.
Leaders of Cameroon's main opposition party say they are negotiating with over 30 opposition leaders to present a single candidate in the next election, should 91-year-old President Paul Bia be incapacitated by ill health. The opposition reacted after Bia, who has ruled for over four decades, made no mention of running for re-election in a New Year's message. Moki Edwin Kenzeka reports from the capital Yaoundé. Maurice Kamtu, president of the Cameroon Renaissance Movement Party, says scores of civil society and political opposition members have set up a platform called the Political Alliance for Change, or the PAC, to press for aging President Paul Bia to relinquish power. The 91-year-old Bia has been president since 1982 and is the world's oldest political head of state. Presidential elections are to take place in Cameroon by October 2025, but civil society groups and opposition parties expected Bia in his New Year's message to announce early elections in 2024. That didn't happen. Camto says he has been chosen by the PAC as a single opposition candidate should Bia resign or is incapacitated. He says supporters of Bia's CPDM party who are fed up with Bia's autocratic rule should join the PAC. The PAC remains open to all those who believe that the current regime is now Cameroon's problem and therefore can no longer contribute anything to its recovery. Our compatriots in the ruling CPDM party who demonstrate a patriotic reawakening are also welcome in the PAC. Let them come and take their place in the train of national renaissance. Camto said he would revive all state institutions. He says Bia has ruined, organize an inclusive national dialogue to end the separatist crisis that has claimed more than 6,000 lives in Cameroon's western regions and improve living conditions for those stuck in hunger and poverty. According to Cameroon's constitution, if Bia dies, resigns, or becomes incapacitated, Marcel Niat Njifenji, the 89-year-old president of the Senate, the upper house of parliament, would take power and organize elections for a new president within 120 days. In his message, Bia did not say anything about plans to leave power or not, but blamed the country's current hardships and arms conflicts on high levels of corruption and external factors. Bia said Cameroon, like other African countries, is bearing a heavy burden of the economic crisis caused by the wars in Ukraine and the Middle East. Bia says when the world expected an end to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the resurgence last October of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict wasn't the rift within the international community and further sunk the world's economy. Bia says the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is leading to general price hikes in consumer products and, consequently, the cost of living. He says the conflict is also causing drastic shortages of petroleum products. Bia said despite the challenges, Cameroon had a 3.7% economic growth rate in 2023 and inflation was contained at less than 7%. 
Cameroon's opposition disputed that, saying the economic growth rate is less than 2% and inflation is running above 20%. They say beer is responsible for what they say is an economic disaster in Cameroon, a country blessed with a variety of minerals that could be exploited to develop the Central African state, but were misused by the beer government. The Center for Human Rights and Democracy in Central Africa says that Cameroon's fragmented opposition, which is made up of about 400 political parties, will find it difficult to beat Bia or any CPDM candidate in an election. Camto says all the opposition and civil society groups should, for once, rally behind a single candidate should early elections be called or when presidential elections come up by October 2025. Moki Edwin Kinzka, VOA News, Yawundi, Cameroon. Kenya's president is coming under criticism from judges, lawyers, legal experts and opposition groups after saying he won't respect court orders that he perceives as an effort to undermine, to undermine key policies of his administration. Critics are calling for nationwide protests to protect the judiciary's independence and respect of the rule of law. Mohammed Youssef reports. Kenyan lawyers have called for a demonstration following Tuesday's comment from President William Ruto. The head of the Law Society of Kenya, Eric Theory, said they will be marching in support of Kenya's judges. The Law Society will be organizing a countrywide peaceful demonstrations where we will read and affirm the oath that each and every one of the advocates of the High Court of Kenya took to protect the rule of law, the independence of the judiciary and the constitution that we have. The Lawyers Association has called on each of its members to wear a purple ribbon next week to show their displeasure with the attack on the country's judicial system. On Tuesday, President Ruta said he will ignore some court orders that he sees as aimed at stalling government development programs. He accused some judges of corruption and working with those filing cases against his government's economic plans. We will protect the independence of the judiciary. What we will not allow is judicial tyranny and judicial impunity. The government led by Ruto has made the construction of affordable houses and provision of universal health care two of its top priorities. But critics say in implementing the plans, the government is trampling over the legal process. A Kenyan court stopped the government's plan to raise taxes to construct the houses, saying it was unconstitutional and discriminatory, a decision that has angered the executive. In a statement, Kenyan Chief Justice Martha Kome condemned the president's remarks on matters that are still before the court. Kome called on judges to fulfill their duties in accordance with the law and the constitution. She said the Judicial Service Commission will protect the targeted judges. Theory say Ruto must use judicial means to challenge the court rulings and judicial officers he thinks are corrupt. The president, therefore, as the foremost custodian of the rule of law, should refrain from undermining the judiciary and instead utilize legal avenues at his disposal to challenge decisions. Kenya has a history of political violence and ethnic conflict, especially during election campaigns. The constitution passed in 2010 gave the judiciary independence to do its work without the interference of the government. 
a freedom which has given Kenyans increased confidence in the judiciary. Donald Rabala is an advocate at the High Court of Kenya. He told VOA that when the citizens are aggrieved and laws are broken, their hopes lie in courts and it is good for the nation's stability. It is also important for the common, yeah, for the common people, yeah, for those who are being governed. As you are aware, the constitution is basically a social contract between the governed and the governors. So what we're saying is that that is the only way the common man can be able to challenge any decision by the executive. They cannot challenge it through a compromised parliament. They cannot challenge it through the executive itself, but through the judiciary, they can't question any decision made by the executive. So, of course, with that, then you have peace, then you have the prosperity in place. Despite the criticism, the government has vowed to crack down on allegedly corrupt judges and judicial officers. Many Kenyans hope any future action does not affect people's confidence in the country's judicial system, which has taken decades to build. Mohammed Yusuf, VOA News, Nairobi. And that's all we have for you this Thursday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. As we leave you with Maratabed by Emmy, I'm your host, Nabil Biagio in Washington. On behalf of our producer, Gwen Uten and engineer, Bill Andrade. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Remember to join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Of course, talking about Maratabe. Maratabe, no, no. Bridge, book up in the